Now, my idea of a glorious death would be to die now, while you are all around me, and then your tears could combine to make a great river that my corpse could float away on, far, far away, to some distant land that no bird has ever flown to, and gently decompose there until the wind had picked my bones clean, and after that, never to be reborn again as a human being. Now that would be a really good death. much about this um, interview, this, this interaction, but we learn a little bit about it when Aroma returns. And so by now, Bao Yu is awake, and he kind of presses her for the details. Um, and he, he seems to be excited, because this um, there had been con- some concern back in chapter... I, don't... I think it was 19 or 20. Yeah, 19 or 20, where... Uh, you know, she had played this game where she she she'd kind of deceived Bao Yu into thinking that if his you know behavior wasn't good, that she might um, find occupations uh, elsewhere, right? Uh, and so now it seems to Bao Yu that you know, like uh, the the deal is done. There's you know, <laughs> uh, and so there's there's kind of um, some jocular. Um, jostling back and forth mm-hmm. uh, between the two of them. Um, but she says, you know, well, y- yes, but I'm actually not your servant at all now. I'm Lady Wang's servant, and I'm kind of out on loan to you. Uh-huh. Um, and so you, you know, you have no control over whether I whether I stay or whether I go. Um um, and then Bao if, Yu, I, if I choose to leave, all I would do is just go and speak to Lady Wang and tell her I'm going, and that would be the end of it. Uh huh. And then Bao Yu makes a remark, and then her like her final remark, uh, as if like keeping, as if like every conversation, you know, like uh, in this novel has to like end up with like somebody uh, threatening suicide <laughs> or death. Um, so she, that's where she takes it, right at the very end. She's like, no matter what, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're not uh, like up to up to snuff, I will. I could always end my, uh, end myself. Yeah, I can just stop breathing. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, I, I guess, was unexpected. That that kind of dialogue, that kind of um, rhetorical positioning, seems more characteristic of of Bao Yu and, and Dai Yu. Yeah. Uh, each of each of whom has you know it, it, several times um, referenced their own untimely demise. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
but this time it's Aroma. Um, and so she kind of, uh, she like knows this is a source object. And so she, there's a funny line in the, in, in the text where like she turns the conversation onto topics, uh, which are more agreeable to value. Like, uh, uh, in, in the Hawks, it reads the beauties of nature, the beauties of girls, girls, um, <laughs> I guess what what he in the original uh, is the beauties of nature is um, what Hawks rendered that is, Chunfeng Chou Yue. So like literally, um, spring wind, uh, autumn moon, and, mm. and what he has as the beauty of um, of girls is, Fendan Zhihong. Uh, so like, that would be something like. Uh, Pale powder and red makeup, like yeah, red yeah. rouge, something like that. You know, I just thought it was really interesting that you know there's this parallelism between. Um, I, I guess like you know, Hawks has preserved the parallelism, you know, but in the original, there it's what what Hawks has rendered. Um, the beauty of nature is is for character um, semi set expression, and then the beauty of you know like, like feminine beauty here is also this for uh four character set expression uh, I, I thought it was kind of an interesting hmm. uh kind of linguistic uh facet to sort of highlight in passing um yeah. and so even aroma has this issue where no matter what she talks about it always uh the conversation always veers toward uh the morbid and it talks of people dying um <laughs> and, and so of course this is the occasion for Baoyu's, I guess, second big speech, his second uh, hot take of the chapter, uh, which I found, I, I want to hear your reaction, but I found this to be um, <laughs> absolutely just garbage, just intellectual, just this like, it's just complete nonsense, nothing, no like insight into, like it, it really seemed like a kind of... Um, sort of really noxious sort of by like by your logic kind of um yeah i thought it was pompous in the extreme but i, I do think um, it's a, the author kind of self-satirizing yeah. uh like, like kind of a youthful presumptions of like intellect or insight um do you want to what, what it was quite think? a good example of that wasn't it <laughs> yeah um i mean i can yeah i can just maybe read read from it so yeah, she Aroma gets around, to, as you said, to talking about the subject of death again, as the conversation just trends in that direction. And this time, rather than stopping her, Bayou says, We all have to die, as you said just now. The problem is how to die well. Those whiskered idiots who take quite literally the old saw that a scholar dies protesting and a soldier dies fighting, and get themselves killed off on the assumption that those are the only two ways in which a man of spirit can die gloriously, would do better to die in their beds. Um, anyway, he goes on this long um, <laughs> rant about how, um, you know, history is just full of men who um, either sought a glorious death on the battlefield um, instead of actually <laughs> pursuing like a war in a, in a useful way, or, you know, a couple of misguided scholars decided to get themselves martyred in opposition to a supposedly tyrannical ruler rather than kind of try and achieve any like practical useful change um 
Um, and then, yeah, as you say, he goes on to say that his idea of the glorious death would be, you know, dying surrounded by... Um, surrounded by women that care for him and their their tears at his death would flow into a great river that would carry his body away to a distant land where you know his his corpse would rot and his bones would be picked clean and then he would <laughs> you know he would die for good and not be reincarnated as a human and that would be truly the best death right right um i thought there was something interesting here where on one hand, yeah, like Bao Yu's sort of like uh, social insight is very much on the, the kind of the intellectual, like shallow end of the pool. Um, that being said, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of what he's proposing. So his idea is that like, you know, everyone knows that, you know, a true scholar, you know, dies protesting and a true soldier dies fighting. And so Bao Yu's... Um, he thinks that because of this um this like kind of surface level correspondence between these symbols that people are going out and you know uh like dying on purpose in order to mm -hmm. prove you know maybe to their, their family or even to themselves that they are in fact you know the real thing the real deal um which i, I don't think that's a really like, plausible like uh interpretation of history but no. it does remind me a little bit of um the the shisha frowning parable from the Zhuangzi that we talked about um, in previous episodes. This idea so, that remind us of that. Where, uh, you know, the, the most beautiful uh, woman of ancient China, supposedly, you know, according to the legend, uh, Shishir, uh, she was said to be so beautiful that when she frowned, you know, when, when she made this negative expression on her, her face, it, like, it paradoxically made her even more beautiful. But then other kind of lesser beauties in, in town uh, tried to... Um, to mimic this effect by frowning all the time, but people found them to be even less appealing. And so it goes into this kind of paradoxical uh, logic of, uh, and a question of, you know, the, again, the uh, surface level reading of the symbols versus a deeper, you know, a surface level reading would be like, okay, all you have to do is die protesting and then you're a good, you're a good scholar. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, no consideration of like whether you actually, you know, you know, again, like whether you actually like functioned in some like s substantive sense for yeah society. Yeah, so he's inventing this. He's inventing these absurd scenarios in which you know, like the the government official at court finds the smallest bone to pick with the emperor over some minor matter, and. Um, on the basis of this, uh, achieves martyrdom or like seeks out martyrdom, um, um, mm -hmm. you know, be like because like taxes were set at twenty three percent instead of twenty two percent, kind of thing. You right, know, that, that's yeah. sort of what it, he's talking about, I guess. It does. It doesn't follow exactly what's written in the Mungsa, and so, and, no. and there actually were, I, I think, at various times, these sort of tedious scholar types who would you know, like take their knowledge of ancient literature too seriously and think, well, I've, I've read the Jolie. I know how to, uh, I know how to organize a government, you know, or I've read the Li Ji and I know that, you know, if everyone's, if the, if the, if the ruler is a, sh a sage ruler, then the people will naturally blah, 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 blah. All this kind of, mm -hmm. all this kind of like, uh, sort of like 
fairly like tedious uh, doctrine. Um, and, and so like, there is some truth to all of this, uh, but the idea that this is like how how history actually worked is kind of like silly. And, and ultimately, Baoyu's ideas about the emperor is like, well, he's the emperor. So clearly, you know, uh, like heaven wouldn't lay such a huge responsibility on one of, on, on anyone but the, the worthiest shoulders. And so like, if you're actually going to be critical and have this like contrarian, uh, like a substant, a substantive, you know, uh, con- contrarian take on Chinese history, you should go after the emperor obviously that's like that's the most um egregious element of the whole system and, and so you, you see yeah. it's like it's contrarian but also like conformist at the same time it, it's kind of the worst of all possible worlds i think <laughs> you know? yeah that was such an interesting line wasn't it yeah that um you know. he's so close but he's still pretty far you know i don't know yeah <laughs> if yeah if the emperor is not gifted then why would heaven bestow its mandate upon him checkmate (laughs) (laughs) because heaven's an incoherent concept and you have to look at material conditions i don't know like what you (laughs) Uh, Um, anyway so um aroma kind of patiently listens to this um and realizes you know he's just talking complete rubbish and so she says she's tired and they both go to sleep oh there's one Uh, thing i want to talk about before we move on though um sure when when baoyu says that so he gives this like his like f- his like fantasy death basically, which is an interesting <laughs> kind of fantasy to have. I mean, like I guess, the, yeah, like maybe maybe that's good from some certain like Buddhist practices. But I, I think in general, like the the idea of being so attached to your life that you you, you fantasize about the conditions of your death is a sign that you're not enlightened. Um, but his fantasy death is basically that you, there's so many tears that they make a great river and his, his, his corpse floats away on the river to a remote island uh, where no yeah. birds have ever been to and no one is there to, to, um, to pluck out his, you know, his rotting corpse. So he can, he can decompose kind of like a sky burial, but without any uh, pesky intervening uh, vultures. vultures or what have you. Mm-hmm. But actually the, the exact expression that he uses is for this, he has what Hawks has his remote place would be uh Yo Pichu, uh like a like uh and so Yo we've talked about a little bit in the past, this kind of um remote, secluded uh like yeah, space. It's kind of and, somehow and, like dark and tranquil almost. Right. Yeah. And that's actually in the last chapter we had a line from uh actually when 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 Dai Yu is returning to her place of revid- res- place of residence. She she's reminded of a line from the uh, the the romance of the Western Chamber, the Shishangji, uh, yeah. which has the same the same. And so she imagines her own her place, her uh, the Nayat's house, as mm-hmm. a uh, as itself a, a yopichu. And so the line from the the, the Shishangji is like. Um, who would come to this secluded place uh, uh, where the the dew still glistens on the un, untrodden grass? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so, and so, in, in effect, uh, Bao Yu is conjuring uh, a similar image from the same play that uh, that uh, Dai Yu had uh, had conjured a chapter before. 
And that's kind of uh, an important little parallel there where it's, it's as if, you know, in, in Baoyu's vision, he's kind of, um, he's imagining in death his, his reuniting, you know, at least in spirit with uh, Daiyu. And so again, we see this connection between desire and death and the, the kind of this immortal realm where things you know, are imagined to have begun. Yeah. But I, yeah, but you know, uh, Aroma is pretty good at sort of um, brushing this off. And, and in a moment, uh, Bao Yu, again, he, he returns to sleep. So he, he's done having his death speech, and now he's going to yeah, go to sleep. <laughs> you know? She's like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And now sleep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's expected that he'll forget uh, everything uh, soon enough. The following morning, when he does awake, he um, he finds himself in a kind of state of boredom, um, and um, he's thinking of this. You know, the, the garden seems to have nothing to offer him at the moment, and so he finds himself thinking of the the peony pavilion or or the return of the soul. Um, this is the play we've talked about before, right? Which um, and um, he decides to go and seek out the troop of child actors that live in the garden. So we've talked about them before um, and how this is just completely accepted as normal, which is very, uh, you know, informative, I guess, uh, when we think of, like, the the sort of values um, and the kind of accepted wisdom of the time, um, that it was just a completely ordinary thing for a wealthy family to have a troop of 12 children who would perform on demand. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, he um, he wants to go and find one of the actors, that kind of the, the, the best of the bunch, we think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's known in Chinese as um, Lin Guan, right? Um, right. But it's translated by Hawks as, yeah, Charmant. Um, and this follows the the kind of convention that he's chosen of giving um, actors and kind of similar figures in society um, French translations of their names. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we saw that with the actor uh, Bijou, for example, um, which again is, is, is from French. Um, you know, Lingguan is kind of a weird name. You notice yeah. that all of the actors have Guan in their name. It's, it's yeah. almost, are these not really names? Or, or like this, like I was trying to figure out. Um, we've seen like really interesting naming conventions, uh, and so it makes sense that these are maybe uh, like names imposed. These are almost like positions, it seems. Right. Um, right. And so I was kind of, it's kind of interested by that because um, it it's in keeping with some of the, the trends we've seen, where yeah, like it's very common to rename, uh, I guess, like social subordinates. Um, yeah it's it's strange because i don't understand what that guan is supposed to mean in this case beyond being some kind of signifier that the person is an is an actor definitely um yeah it's 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 a little strange like um it's almost like um like office or something like um but i, I don't yeah. know what a, what a like a ling office would be or the other names we see um let's see here so the one the one called bijou his name is Qi Guan, 
Okay. And she being like a precious jewel, like kind of okay. precious jade jewel. So hence bijou, which again means like a a precious thing. Uh-huh. Um, um, one yeah, of the, the others is called Quay Quayguan, right? So uh, that's which that's like Trezor. That's Trezor in Oh yeah. In the Hawks. So like the Sunflower office, the Sunflower I, I don't know the, the Yeah, but that's weird because the Sunflower one, like the or- Trezor is like uh literally treasure in in French. Uh so I guess it's kind of sticking with a similar kind okay. of theme. But but you're right, it's strange because it's a yeah, it's a sunflower or a plant like it uh in Chinese. It's mm-hmm. quite so I, I was I wasn't sure. Yeah, this is a moment when I wish I, I had, a, like, a, the the annotated version of of Hawks. Yeah, you want to pick through Hawks' notes. Yeah. Um. And so I guess what, so he, he Bao Yu has a specific poem, or a, excuse me, a specific song from, uh, Shi Shangji in mind, right? Oh no, is this Shi Shangji? I thought it was. Uh... Uh, oh, exactly. That's what that's what I meant. Yeah, sorry, I, I misspoke. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, uh, Bao Yu has a specific song from Mudanting uh, in mind, um, and uh, it's actually not given in the original. But Hawks, but Hawks renders it uh, in these quiet courts, the floating gossamer, mm. um, which is a, yeah, a really he, nice. He, kind of a, a stock image yeah there, there is a name given to it in the chinese right which is um but yeah it's mm-hmm. just a word for like a gossamer slender thread um like, so maybe uh, he has gone away and found the actual lyrics and yeah pulled out bits he's he's obviously doing that thing you know of uh i, I really really want to hear that song you know but uh-huh. he doesn't have <laughs> cds or spotify or uh, like anything, you know, <laughs> he can't go away and just like, yeah, put it on the speakers. <laughs> he needs to find someone to sing it for him. Yeah, so he has like, um, so well, it, that's why he has, uh, in effect, that's the criticism of this chapter. He's uh, he's trying to get uh, his cage bird to sing, yeah. uh, and there's a kind of a, a class revolt uh, underway, you'd say. Mm. Um, I was gonna say this is the moment you know when finally uh, Bao Yu uh, is directed toward uh, uh, Charmant's room. He has kind of a moment of recognition that this is the same uh, uh, a girl that he observed before uh, in, in the rain uh, under the pergola. Yes, exactly. This is that kind of that another iconic scene of her, uh, of her tracing Chang, the character Chang, uh, on the floor, mm. um, among the petals, I guess. Yeah. So, so let's remind ourselves. A couple of chapters ago, yeah, I think you said it was chapter thirty. Chapter he's thirty. Wandering, yeah. He's wandering in the garden in the heat of the day, um, and he sees someone scratching the ground, and he originally thinks it's somebody imitating Dayu. And particularly mm-hmm. her habit of picking up fallen flower petals and burying them in the dirt. Um, and he's mm-hmm. about to go over and tell her off for imitating her in exactly the way that you mentioned before of people imitating Shishu's quality of like frowning and thus accentuating her beauty. Yeah. In their own yeah. way, frowning and, and actually accentuating their own 
ugliness. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's about to go over and tell her off when he realizes she's doing something different. She has a she has a hairpin, and she's just scratching the same character over and over and over again in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's the character Chang, which is included in the name of the rose pergola where she's doing it. And so he thinks perhaps uh, that she's overcome by some like um, I don't know, kind of um, uh, like overwhelming feeling of um, I I don't know, kind of like of natural <laughs> feeling or something. I'm not sure mm-hmm. exactly. I don't think he necessarily twigs straight away that it's Jia Chang's name that she's no, carving yeah. over and over again. Um, so- and then while he's watching her a rainstorm breaks out, a sudden shower, and they're forced to flee. Um, and so mm-hmm. I guess this is the first time he's seen her since then. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a while. Um, and he has a kind of way with, I guess, female um, companions, uh, which usually works, where he, he, he seems to be sort of um, ingratiating mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, he he sort of like he's like uh he has a friendly demeanor that Yeah. Is usually people are pretty receptive to. Exactly. A combination of his usually like friendly uh character and his relatively high status within the household tends to win people over. But not in this case. Um actually no. she's sort of um like she makes an excuse not to um not to sing for him. Maybe based in reality, um, th- there's a mention that she, maybe she had um, oversung recently and she had strained or was on, on the verge of straining her voice. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and in fairness, this is a perfectly reasonable, um, yeah, oh yeah, reason not to yeah. be to be to be singing. It's it's true, you know, if you are if you're an opera singer, um, you have to take tremendous care of your tremendously like good care of your voice. Uh, including, mm-hmm. you know, not eating and drinking various things, um, and you know, not straining her voice in other ways. Um, and it's pretty awkward. Bao Yu doesn't know what to do, and he, he just like promptly leaves <laughs> after being uh, rebuffed. Uh, and, and he kind of asks a few other, um, I guess, like actors in attendance or singers in attendance, mm-hmm. and 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 they, uh, one of them says, you know, well. You know, wait until Mister Mister Chang gets back. You know, she'll sing for him, <laughs> uh, and it's kind of a suggestive remark. Um, yeah, but th- this is yeah, how no Bao Yu. This is how Bao Yu finds out. Oh, okay, that's the Chang. This is the one that uh, he kind of puts two and two together finally. Hmm. Um, and actually, it's at this moment more or less that uh, Bao Yu stays around for a little bit, but. Uh, uh, Jia Chong returns actually, and he he comes bearing a birdcage. Um, and this is a present for for Charmant. And he, mm. here you have this little scene where apparently the bird had been trained. Uh, yeah. To do, maybe do a little yes. dance. Birds are exactly. really intelligent. Some of them are. You can imagine this bird has some tricks. Um, and everyone loves it. That uh, except. Charmant, yeah, and she kind of flies into a rage, and she she gives a a speech where it's basically, look, I'm like, I don't want to be here. I'm here against my will, you know. Like it's 
it's like the, that her family more or less sold her into this position. The mm. the exa- the you know the specific specifics of their arrangement aren't given, but you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of yeah. Um, and she's like, look, you know, I, I I'm here in this prison. I, I'm I'm already a in effect a cage bird and you bring this cage bird or are you mocking me you know yeah um it's pretty bad isn't it because either you know she <laughs> she seems to interpret is it as him deliberately mocking her but the more likely outcome i think is that he's just too thoughtless even to realize that it would obviously be perceived in that way he's a lesser um, a lesser Yu, so he's also having everyone stumbles when it comes to gift giving it's just hard to do it was hard. It's hard now, and it was hard during the Qing Dynasty. Um, and this is a, another instance of we see. It's kind of refreshing. We see a, like a, a bumbling fool for once who isn't Bao Yu. Um, and I guess it's this distance that uh, that uh, lends itself toward Bao Yu's eureka moment, his mm-hmm. his moment of enlightenment. Uh, perceiving the void, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. He sees himself reflected in Cha <laughs> Um Yeah, uh, but we do see we we <laughs> we see a bit of her character as well. Just before we before we depart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in addition to making this, I think, extremely fair complaint, um, mm-hmm. Charmont then goes on to say that she's been coughing up blood, and that you know. She wanted him to go and get a doctor for her. Instead, she's he's gone off and found this stupid bird. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jia Chang says, well, I spoke to the doctor yesterday and he said you just needed two doses of medicine. I, I had no idea that you were coughing up blood. I'll go and find the doctor now. And she says, no, don't bother. If you go now, you'll only be going in, you know, you'll be doing it rashly, you know, <clears throat> You're only going to fetch him now because you're in a temper. I wouldn't see him. That I wouldn't see the doctor now, even if he came. Basically, mm-hmm. um, and so there's a. I mean, I think there's also a slightly kind of like temperamental, like quality to her as well. Quality to her character. I, I mean, and there is some agency insofar as you know. It, it seems as if she has chosen to uh, engage in some kind of relationship with Jia Chang. Um, and he is of higher yeah. status, and so it's this, mm. this is kind of potentially her means toward um, advancement within this this uh, social space. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I, yeah, I'll be honest. The whole thing kind of makes me. I don't know. It, like, I know it creeps me. Oh out yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, just, just to um, be clear, this whole arrangement. Uh, <laughs> it, it it like if if it were happening nowadays, I, I what what's yeah. That doesn't doesn't sound good, you know. This like the garden becomes no, like Neverland no, Ranch or something. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's actually quite an apt comparison. So yeah, th- that's an important point to make. Uh, without you know reducing the whole story to, yeah, that kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- there's a lot going on. Needless to say, and that's what makes this story interesting and worth reading. It's because um, yeah, like some of the some of the valences <laughs> change over time. Um. And we yeah. see things that maybe nowadays um, authors would be unwilling to represent in, in their stories. Mm-hmm. Another reason to go uh, go historical in your in your reading choices, sometimes at least. So, at this point, Bao Yu departs, doesn't he? And he returns home. 
Um, it's a new value, a reflective, self-critical value. Yeah, <laughs> he he's seen himself reflected in Jia Chang, and he doesn't like doesn't like what he saw, mm-hmm. and so he's um, he apologizes to um, Aroma in a way. You know, he says, "I was wrong when I said that the other day about crying the river of tears." You know, my father says of me that I am Guan Kui Li Tsa. So this is a a figure of speech that means kind of like um, in the Hawks it says small capacity but great self-conceit. Um, and I think that's about right. So mm-hmm. Guan Kui is to look at things, to survey things through a tube, through a bamboo tube, basically. So if you imagine, if you're looking through a bamboo tube, you might think that you are seeing things very clearly but in fact you are obscuring everything outside of the scope of the tube so you're actually seeing very little and then uh li tsa tsa is like to to measure the depth of something in this case and uh li is a is a calabash so a kind of bottle gourd essentially so it's essentially like trying to measure the sea with a bottle gourd um uh, essentially i guess it's kind of being shallow in understanding you might say basically um, so he's realized a bit of his own shortcomings. Mm-hmm. He's, his pomposity is maybe slightly punctured, we could say. Yes. At, at the same time that he goes on and he says, uh, basically, the three the, hawk, the hawks here, he says, uh, I mean, that stuff about all of you making a river of tears for me when I die. I realize now that it's not possible. I realize now that each of us has our own allotted share of tears and must be content with what we've got. Which is really interesting because it obviously uh, harkens back to chapter one and the, the you know, the um, the crimson pearl flower repaying uh, in the mortal world uh, uh, the stones watering of her with, you know, a lifetime of tears. So it, it goes back to that, that kind of that weird image from from uh from chapter one and it's still kind of weird here because uh it's it's still strange to think that you know I, I guess it is true that you know only a certain number of people are going to cry for you you know unless you're princess diana like th- there's only a certain amount that people care about individual lives maybe yeah. right but uh it just it just seems like again like that's not a quantifiable uh, I, I guess it's quantifiable in this kind of like, if you think of like a uh, like transcendental uh, like system of measures, I guess. It, it's it's still kind of a funny comment because I, 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 I don't know, you know, some people cry more, some people cry less. It's not like, it's not about the quantity, it's the quality. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I've always found that metaphor to be kind of strange and uh, this most recent iteration is still kind of... Um, uh, you know, a bit funnier on the edges, I'd say. So, having, <coughs> yeah, having had this, you know, blessed us with this pearl of um, enlightenment, um, <laughs> yeah. um, we then have a change of subjects. Uh, so, D- Dayu is there, and she can tell that something is up with Baoyu, but she decides this is maybe not the best time to raise it. So, she changes the subject to Aunt Xue's birthday, which is tomorrow. So, Xue Baochai and Xue Pan's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she asks 
uh, whether Bao Yu will attend. Um, and Bao Yu says that he didn't go to Jia She's birthday, so that's Bao Yu's father's brother, um, and therefore, you know, he feels like maybe he he ought not to attend this either. Um, um, but <clears throat> Aroma says, no, no, that's nonsense. You know, uh, there's no comparison between the two. You really ought to go to um, Aunt Shua's birthday. Um, and if you're worried about the heat, why not go visit her early in the morning and, you know, wish her a happy birthday and have a cup of tea with her and then you can go. Um, and then Dayu chimes in to say that if nothing else, he ought to um, do it as a favour for keeping the mosquitoes away. And Bayu says, you know, what? I I don't understand what you're I don't understand what you're talking about. Um and yeah, Dayu explains that Bao Chai, you know, sat and watched watched over him while he slept and did the embroidering and and, and using the kind of fly whip kept mosquitoes from biting him while he was asleep. And so this is enough to persuade Bayu that he must attend. This is also a chance for, you know, she she wanted to make a comment earlier to uh, Bao Chai in the moment, but uh, Shishang Yun kind yeah. of prevented her. So this like uh, this like uh, this jab was a long time coming. Apparently, um, it also kind of uh, speaks to uh, Dayu's single-minded resentment of any interaction between him and and, and Bao Chai. Uh, and so I really ad- yeah. admire kind of the this like tenacity of, you know <laughs> uh, so yeah. a, a kind of a, an amusing yeah. a lot of like kind of this this chapter seems kind of funny in some ways because uh, you see a lot of characters really acting uh, like very much like fully themselves right so we see Shifeng like swearing up a storm uh, Bao Yu being easily uh, like uh, like easily kind of a move toward uh, toward speechification and toward uh, like pseudo enlightenment, we see Dayu uh, being resentful and, and kind of uh, jealous. Uh, all the all the hits are kind of um, are being played. I thought. Yeah, yeah, all the hits. <laughs> but they're interrupted. Yeah, they're interrupted at this point by uh, Xiang Yun, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's heading out, and so they kind of have a a brief, uh, tearful goodbye. Um, mm. I think um, Bao Yu sends her off pretty far, as far as the inner gate, uh, which kind of speaks to their um, affection. I'd say. Yeah, that was the furthest. She, that's the furthest he was allowed to go. Yeah. Um, by his grandmother's exhortation. Um, you know, as we know about her, she's she's a member of the family, but she doesn't live with them. She's just been staying for a mm-hmm. while. She lives with uh, her aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. who uh, treat her both of her parents, who treat though. her rather poorly, and and they they force her to do like all kinds of um, embroidery far beyond yeah um, what anyone single person should be required to do. It seems so that she has yes. kind of like I'm afraid she's domestic issues basically. Yeah, I'm afraid she is Harry Potter living under the stairs. A little bit, yeah, yeah. It's it's. it's I mean, the reason why that Harry Potter image uh, resonates is because it's it really was like a a common kind of like a it's like a, a trope, yeah. you know, a historical trope. It's such a familiar motif, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, the the orphan it, 
living with the 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 wicked godparents or or aunt and uncle or or whoever you know we also saw it happen to um jen shireen we've already seen it actually before in this uh yeah like the the the, the, i guess the father like the the father and mother-in-law are always um you know potentially uh contentious oh Uh, yeah yeah points of reference (laughs) um um and so yeah we we have this very tearful goodbye at the thought you know she's she's heartbroken at the thought of going but she also at the same time doesn't want to show it too much in front of her parents uh, rather her aunt and uncle's servants um um and there's this um this term uh qianquan nansha uh which describes like the 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 feeling of parting um i guess um qianquan is kind of like bound up tightly together mm-hmm. um nansha is like finding it difficult to part finding it painful to part um i guess what was interesting about the 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 Qian Quan thing is that it's like um it both of both characters have this kind of like silk thread radical um so you can see that it's very like mm-hmm. closely associated with being kind of like very like tightly tied up and so or kind of tangled up somehow and so the feeling of parting is is having mm. to disentangle all that or kind of tear that apart you know so so i think it is a very very kind of sad parting for her um, yeah she's clearly yeah. it's um clearly heartbroken at maybe it's um it's not the only departure we've seen we've also seen the departure of yuan chuan um it's not quite the same but it, it is a common theme i think um yeah arrival yeah. departure visiting uh hmm. And as we're going to see uh, next chapter, uh, writing poetry. Um, so any final thoughts on 36? Well, that's three three tenths of the way through the novel, if we're counting the full 120. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, we've been kind of working in blocks of 12, I suppose. Um, so that's another, True, yeah. that's another okay. landmark to have reached. And it does feel quite like a landmark i think i think the the plot is shifting quite a lot the the characters have progressed quite a long way and we're about to yeah enter into the a new kind of poetry section next time um yeah so in chapter let's see here chapter 37 a happy inspiration prompts tantrun to found the crab flower club and and in and 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 it's it's a tongue twister ingenious and an ingenious arrangement enables bao chai to settle the chrysanthemum poem titles uh so this is this is gonna be a lot of fun Uh, we're gonna go into some detail uh on on this um so i'm looking forward to that yeah Uh, me too i really am looking forward to get stuck in this has been another uh exciting installation of uh rereading the stone uh Feel free to uh, get in contact with us. You can find us on Twitter at uh, Rereading Stone. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Rereading Uh So thanks for listening, and until next time, uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye.